My dad used to call it an earth suit. He said, Billy, this is just my earth suit. He said, one day it'll go away, but I'll remain on. And one day I'll get my new earth suit, glorified and perfect. And that's going to be a good day. When the corruptible becomes incorruptible. When death is gone and that trumpet sounds, will be a good day. Any of you guys looking forward to that day? Now, that's not that you're going, oh, I can't wait to die. But it's saying, you know what? I'm not afraid of it either. I'm not afraid because I know the one who's the author of my life. And I'm the one that passed through the grave and is now living and standing before God the Father. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to take me home. And it's going to be a good day. And it's going to be a day when you don't get to ask all the questions you've wanted to ask, folks. It's a day you finally get to be who you were designed to be in front of the face of the Father. That's going to be a good day. And until then, he says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So let's go to him on that promise and seek his rest, his shalom, his, his flourishing in our lives. Let's pray. God, we come and we thank you that you are the author of both life and death, that you are the beginning and the end. You are the alpha and the omega. You are all things. We can trust you with our lives. And life can get incredibly complicated and complex sometimes. It doesn't matter as a child or a teenager, as a young adult, married with kids or empty nesters, widows or widowers, life, life can get tough. And we need a God who understands it all and more than understands it, who orchestrates it all, who controls it all. And this God is not only our king, but the amazing truth of the gospel is you're our father too. And that's good news. So God, hear us today. Our heart's desire is that we would be a church and a people who would bring honor and glory to your name. That we would see the kingdom expanded here and around the world. That we would be light in darkness. That we would be able to speak truth into the lives of others. That they would find freedom from bondage. That the orphan would become a son or a daughter. That those who are dead would become alive. That we would see the work and the miracle of life itself take place through our lives, living it out in truth before a watching world. Father, we would be humbled if you would use our church in that way. We don't want to become a great church, but we want to be a church that proclaims a great God, that points everyone to you. So, Father, would you use us in that way? From the simplest of little children's sermons to our singing to mission trips to yard sales and spaghetti dinners, all of those things would point towards you in some mysterious way. There's a lot going on in the lives of our people, and there's too many to name, but would you come near to those who are here today? Would you be close to them? Would you be their strength and their peace for those whose minds are depressed? Would you be their encouragement and light? Uh, for those who are anxious, would you come and settle them? Would you humble them that they can trust you? Father, go before us in so many different things that we face each week, but now would you go before us as we, with great humility, open your word together? We want to understand it. Would you reveal yourself to us now by the power of your spirit? This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And so we're coming now to the end of our study of Ecclesiastes. Maybe it seems like a long time to you guys, but it's been a quick seven weeks 
uh, as we have come through and we've, we've really been in a philosophy class together. For the Koheleth, the teacher or preacher in some of your translations, really is much better translated as the philosophy professor. He has brought us in, and we've said that Ecclesiastes really should be the first book of the Bible in many ways, because it's asking profound questions that the rest, the 65 other books of the canon, begin to answer. And the overarching questions that this Koheleth, Solomon, is asking, press us on huge things. This isn't lightweight stuff, is it, that we've been dealing with. And we are been pressing to go to the logical ends of our conclusions. If we are brave enough, if we have enough guts to really answer the questions. And what he's been shouting out page after page is this. You can go search anywhere. You can do anything you want to under the sun to try to find meaning in your life under the sun. Go make a million dollars, go lose it, go make it back again. Go marry, go have kids, uh, go get better looking, go drive a different car, uh, go do this, go do that or the other, go to the right college, make the best grades, go to the prom with the right person, be the captain of the team, do whatever it is, do all of that stuff. Have as much sex as you can have, drink as much drink as you can drink, smoke as much dope as you can smoke, medicate yourself as much as you want to to try and find meaning in this life and at the end of the day, if there's nothing under, over the sun, if it's only life under the sun, it's meaningless. There's absolutely no meaning, so it doesn't matter what you do. Go ahead and do it. That's his conclusion. He said, but have the guts enough to say that. That if all there is is this life, then it doesn't matter what I do in it. But... If there is life above the sun, if there's more to this life than simply running around, and he said, all that running around is vanity of vanities, all of life is vanity, it's like trying to chase the wind. It's like that picture I had of myself and my little buddies when we were little trying to catch bats with a sock filled with sand and throwing them up in the air and thinking somehow it was going to hit the bat, catching its claws and bring the bat down. And people who had to drive by looked and went, what a group of idiotic boys. And we were firm in our commitment. No, this is how you catch bats. That's us. We're throwing things up going, maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. Maybe it'll catch on to meaning and significance in life and bring meaning and significance down to me. And what it is is we're running around like a group of silly adolescents in a field at dusk. He says it's just chasing after the wind. Cotton candy of cotton candies. All of life is cotton candy. Eat it all you want and you're not going to be satisfied. But if there is a God who is above the sun, who gives meaning to everything, wisdom would demand that you seek him out and find out who he is and find out what the true meaning of life is through him. That everything else he considered foolishness and folly. He said, but the wise person asks bigger and more profound questions. In college... The second year student is called a sophomore. And a sophomore is derived from an idea of a wise fool. Because they've got a year under their belt and they think they know it all. But really what they are is a wise fool. You know, one of my favorite shows growing up was Cheers. And Cliff Clavin, the postman, owned the world's most dangerous weapon. And that was a little bit of knowledge. (laughs) A little knowledge about a lot of stuff. And that's us. 
And we're satisfied somehow with a little knowledge about insignificant things. Instead, the Koheleth is saying, oh, I wish you would desire great knowledge and wisdom about the most significant things. That you would study what does it mean to be in relationship with this God who spoke all things into being. That creation has an order, that it has a framework, that it has meaning and significance. That your story, your life has meaning. Whether you believe it or not, it has meaning. I remember sitting with this beautiful young woman at Rhodes College and Lisa was in relationship with her, discipling her, and she always wore long sleeves. She was on full scholarship. She was from an incredible family and she wore long sleeves all the time. And we knew what that meant for her because what she would do at night was sit and talk to her boyfriend and he would remind her how terrible she was, that she wasn't pretty, that all she was valuable for was sex, all she was valuable for was this, that, or the other. And she would sit with her knife and she would just cut her arm and peel big pieces of skin off. And what we tried to present to her was the fact that God wants to take your life and give it meaning. You are so much more than what you've been sold by that jerk who's telling you all these little things. And that's what God is trying to scream to you all today. You are so much more valuable than you ever dared dream or imagined you could be if you trust me and look above the sun for your significance and meaning. Because if it's based on popularity polls, guess what they do? They change. If you're not convinced of who you are in Christ, if you're not convinced of how you fit into this whole thing, you walked in here today, and at the very moment you walked in, you were being assessed and starting to assess, do they like me today? You dressed in a particular way today, I would imagine for a lot more reasons than you think you did. What the Koheleth is saying is meaning and significance comes beyond this life. Look beyond it for the answers. Be brave enough to look beyond it for the answers. And then this life, we talked a little bit about it last week in chapter 11. We're going to retouch it this week. Then this life, actually, you can experience joy. You can experience happiness. You can experience all of that when you believe that it's something beyond this life. I'm looking at front row with a little one and a little one to be and little ones around. And I remember holding my first one. And if he was just a compilation of, of mistakes and accidents that happened, wouldn't be much awe and wonder. But holding him and realizing that God, in all of his infinite wisdom, allowed Lisa and I to be co-creators with him of this beautiful life. And that this child had meaning. And that he had given him to us to steward his life. Man, was, I was terrified. I had to lay him down. And I realized the gigantic nature of what I was stepping into. That it was so much more than just a little baby. It was something so profound. That's what the Koheleth is trying to drive at. And for, I imagine for many of you, and for those of you who are visiting with us, uh, college students, man, I remember college. I, I loved it and hated it all at the same time. I was the idiot who jumped off of the roof of the fraternity house. I was the guy who was doing all the stupid stuff. I was the guy who was out there and everyone said, man, McCutcheon, you're enjoying life. And you know what? At the end of the day, I was desperate searching for something to give it meaning. Every man who's ever knocked on a brothel, every woman who's ever gone in and tried to change her look, who's done all of the different stuff, they're searching for a redeemer. They're searching for a savior. 
to say, give my life meaning here. Medicate the pain that I'm experiencing. Every one of them. And the Koheleth is coming and saying, this is the only place you're going to find meaning. is to go and search above the sun. And so we come to chapter 12. And he picks up like this. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, the desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a wearisome of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. For God, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is God's word. May add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. So here's the conclusion. He's bringing it all down. And here's the conclusions that he comes to. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now, some of you are past the days of your youth, but it's not too late for you. But he's basically saying it would be great wisdom for you to learn this in the days of your youth. But if you haven't learned it in the days of your youth, it's not too late to start remembering your creator. And then fear God and keep his commandments. So that's what we're going to look at today. Remember your creator and then fear God and keep his commandments. So first, remember your creator. That idea there of the word creator is a word that we've seen before, but it's a word that comes from the Hebrew word bara. And bara doesn't just mean to create out of nothing. Because we said that in the beginning, God created all things out of nothing. Ex nihilo. He, sent, he simply spoke into nothingness. And where there was nothing, something came and was formed. It is that, but it's more than that. The word creator there, and the word in the Hebrew, brings out an idea of not only his creative power and glory and majesty in all things, but his sustaining of all of life. That he is the Lagos. You remember many weeks ago we talked about that. That it was God, the Lagos, who brought meaning and significance to the things that he created. He sustains all of life. And so what the Koheleth is saying to us today is this. Consider your creator. Consider and contemplate the one who not only made you in his image. And now through the power of Christ has restored you 
to his image, but he sustains by his providence, by his hand, he sustains you day to day and gives meaning and significance to your life every moment of the day. Do you believe that your life has meaning and significance? Man, I hope so. Because if you do, if you believe that he's the one who gives you meaning and, and, and significance in this world and sustains you, then all of a sudden, with everything you do, you do with purpose. With everything you do, you do with gusto. You do with great enthusiasm of saying, my creator has given me, he has made me, but he didn't just leave me there. It's not like he just made you and went, okay, go on about yourself. Go on about your ways. He said, I'm going to be absolutely involved every step along the way. He brought everything into being And so now he's saying, nothing else gives life meaning. Go ahead, consider it all. Consider every other theory, consider every other philosophy, consider every other meaning, uh, every other religion in the world, and see if it answers those deep questions of meaning for your life. Philosophy and religion, philosophy and Christianity are both trying to answer the same thing. What do we do at death? What happens when we die? Where does significance and meaning come And what we said earlier was, remember we used the word, what does it profit a man to gain all this stuff? What is it to gain? He's really asking the question, where's your value in the world? How do you leave your mark in the world? How do you leave some mark that's eternal in nature? It only comes from remembering your creator. And that word remember, that second word, we kind of flipped it back. We had the object first, which was creator. That he is the one who brought all things into being, and he's the one who sustains and gives meaning to all things. But then he's saying, now remember these things. In, in our culture, we've trivialized the idea of remember. I go, I, when Lisa asked me to go to the grocery store for four things, I'm in a panic. <laughs> because I walk in, and the first thing I see when I get there, I've got them. Butter, milk, bananas, you know, whatever. Uh, cinnamon. And I get there, and all of a sudden, there's Gatorades on sale. Ooh, the boys probably need Gatorades. Okay, I got one of the things I needed because I only needed to get four things. And then I come back and I'm going, I can't remember. I didn't remember that. I don't remember where my keys are. I've searched around the house for my glasses, all over the place for my glasses. And I can't find my glasses anywhere. Oh, so we trivialize the word remember. But the Koheleth is saying this word remember has something much more significant to it. It is something that stirs up and conjures up within you a deep meaningfulness. It is remembering that leads you to a a fidelity of commitment. It is calling out from in you a passion. It, It is calling out deeply from within you, remember these things, remember who you are. Matthew was watching The Lion King the other day. And there's that great scene when, uh, when the, the lion's sitting there and he can't remember his father looks at him from pagan religion worldview, I get it. Um, and he speaks from the clouds, remember who you are. At the beginning of Roots, those of you who remember Roots back in the 70s, and Kunta Kinte's father takes him in Africa and he lifts him up and he whispers his name into his ear and then holds him before the creator and he says, Always remember who you are. That's the word remember. It is deep. It, it, it's guttural. It's down. And it's trying to say, it, it's the conscious identity that you have. 
He's saying, so go about life and remember your creator. Remember who he is and what he has done for you. Acknowledge and commit yourself to what you know about him. Do you see the two together? Acknowledge and commit. There's plenty of you here today that would acknowledge God as creator. But you have not committed yourself to him as creator. You don't really remember him. You haven't really worked it down into the marrow of your soul and pushed it so far down in there that it becomes the very framework. It frames your life. It is your worldview. This remembering of your creator becomes your worldview. Everything you understand about life is understood through this paradigm. And most of you don't give it a second thought. Most of us don't consider our creator very much at all. Maybe for an hour or so on a Sunday morning, but that's about it. The rest of the week, I don't remember him at all. I heard a wonderful illustration about this, and it came from uh, the, the Civil War when uh, Chamberlain was uh, leading the, what was it, the 22nd Maine, uh, the 23rd Maine. Make sure I get it right. I don't want to mess up here. The 20th Maine. Some of you are going to go, Bill, if you're going to correct me on songs, please correct me on history too. Uh, the 20th Maine. And if you've been to Gettysburg, and I took my boys up there a few years ago, and we're standing on the high ground where the Union armies were, and on their left flank was where Chamberlain was, and he was fighting against the Confederacy and against Lee, who at that time was unbeatable. And Lee's army was continuing to ride up the hill, come up the hill, come up the hill, to the point where Chamberlain and his men were out of bullets, and they had no ammo, and he made the command. He said, fix the bayonets. Oh, that would be a terrible one, wouldn't it? Fellas, we're going down the hill, Adam. We're out of bullets, but we are going down the hill. And they fixed their bayonets. And as they ran down the hill, he cried out, remember Fredericksburg. Why? Hey, remember your history lessons. It's important to know where Fredericksburg is and to know how many people were died there. No, he was saying, remember why we're fighting today, gentlemen. For if we lose this battle, we lose the war. Remember who you are. Remember the significance of what you're doing. Remember Fredericksburg. And they withheld the Confederacy. And Chamberlain won the day by holding the left flank. That's what the Kohelet is saying. Remember who you are. Remember the creator always in your life. Do not allow a day and a moment and anything to go by when you don't go, this is who he is. And because of who he is and what he does, it brings meaning and significance to who I am and what I do. You realize that a simple conversation at Dunkin' Donuts can have eternal consequences. Do you realize that a simple way of speaking to someone in a grocery store has eternal consequences? Of how you raise your children has eternal consequences. And some of you are going, ooh, wow. I don't mean that to scare you. I mean that to go, wow, that's awesome. You mean that God could use me with all of my messed up silliness that I did in my adolescent years of how stupid I was and how crazy I was and how I denied the Lord, but he came and he redeemed my life and now he's allowing me the opportunity and the privilege of using my life to impact people's lives all the way into eternity? Now, if that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what does. Those 20 folks who are going down to Haiti aren't going down to Haiti just for the heck of it. 
They're going down to Haiti with the belief that God, the creator, remembering him, says, we can go down, hold a child or two, do a couple of medical procedures, share the gospel, and that lives and entire cultures can be changed because of the power of the gospel in a life. Now, that's pretty meaningful and significant. We believe that what we do here every week has eternal significance because we remember our creator. So I would say each of you, in the days of your youth, or whatever day it is, remember your creator. He says, because they're in the middle of it, he goes, because all of it is moving towards decline. He says, eventually, it's all going to turn to dust. So it's better to do it now than to wait and to see. He says, eventually, the gold bowl held by the beautiful silver chain is going to come crashing to the ground. And all your desires, and it's actually a Hebrew word for an aphrodisiac, he said, even those things that try to stimulate your desire... They have no effect on you. And even the grasshopper that's so seemingly excited about life and jumping and flittering around and going about with carelessness drags himself around. So all of life is heading down. You don't have to look for suffering, do you? You don't have to look for it. It'll find you. Saying, but suffering is only understood and life is only understood when you remember your creator. And then when you remember him, it should lead to the fear of of the Lord and obedience to his commands. He's saying, do you want the end of the matter? Here's the end of the matter. Fear God. And I don't mean just a knee-knocking fear God way. Uh, I think I printed it there uh, for you at the front of your bulletin. Flip over there if you want. It's overused. I get it, but I'm going to use it again anyway. It's from Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's about my speed. And so C.S. Lewis wrote this. Lucy was asking about Aslan, the lion, and she says, Is he a man in Aslan? A man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter, even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point. Lewis goes on to describe it this way. People sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of the golden mane and the great royal solemn overwhelming eyes. And they found that they couldn't look at him and they went all trembly. His voice was deep and rich and somehow took the fidgets out of them and they now felt glad and quiet and it didn't seem awkward to them to stand and to say nothing. Man, I love Lewis. He gets it. Fear God. Does he bring and inspire within you both the knee-knocking sense of this is the God of the universe And the calming sense that he's the God of the universe who's your dad. And you are absolutely safe in his presence for he's good. Fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of 
wisdom. And hasn't the Koheleth been saying what? Find wisdom. And the place to find wisdom is to get into a right perspective with God. He is the creator and he is not to be trifled with. I love Job. When Job thinks he has all the answers, his friends are telling him all the answers. And finally, Job comes and God meets him. And God says to Job, Job, gird yourself up like a man and come out and meet me, son. (laughs) I would just melt. No, I'm good. I'm good, God. I, I got it. I got it. And he walked out and God said, Job, if you're man enough, Tell me where you were when the mountains came into being and I told the valleys to go low and I told that ocean that you enjoy so much to go this far and no further. You tell me, Job, in all of your infinite wisdom, you mere man, you remind me how it is that you're greater than me. Just paraphrasing it makes me go, ooh. And Job's response? Praise be to God. I am dust, and to dust I will return, but I will praise the Lord all the days of my life. Because he lovingly put me in my place. He reminded me that I'm not the creator. He reminded me that I'm subordinate to him. That he lovingly reminded me that I have a place, and it is not seated on his throne. And he will not share his throne with anybody else. And he gets incredibly upset with people who try to take his throne. That he does not like others, pretenders, to the kingdom And what he is offering you today, folks, is this. And here it comes. Don't wait too long. Would today be the day that you fear the Lord? Because one day he's coming back. And he'll take on all pretenders. And he'll destroy them. But for right now, his son rode in on a donkey. And came in to be sacrificed and said, I am able to now change pretenders into sons and daughters. I'm able to change those most arrogant ones and soften their hearts and get them to become sons and daughters of the king. But you have to fear my father and believe in him. And he'll give you meaning and significance in this life. We'll end with this. Notice how that worked. Fear the Lord Keep his commandments. Many of you are trying to keep his commandments, which will lead somehow to you getting into a right place and position with God. It doesn't work that way. Our following him, our obedience to him, our law keeping, our morality, uh, our, our sobriety in this life, our living this life the way that he designed it is driven from the fact that we are awestruck because this God and creator of all things become our, became our dad. None of you have a guarantee, and I'm not trying to scare you. I just want to speak truth to you. None of you have a guarantee about one more moment today. We were at the yard sale yesterday. Ambulances had to show up. A woman collapsed. I doubt that she woke up that morning and said, I can't wait today to go to the yard sale so I can collapse and be taken out by EMS. We don't know what happens next, but I can tell you this. You have now. And now, this incredibly awesome God has presented himself to you in a way that you can know him. Francis Schaeffer said, we have truth, truth. We have true truth. We don't have inexhaustible truth. We don't know everything about God, but we know enough about God that he's revealed to us. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. For the Lord our God... The secret things belong to him, but the things revealed to us belong to us and to our children that we might obey him and follow him. 
So with what you know about this God who's been presented to you, are you willing, maybe for the first time in your life, to bend the knee, submit yourself to him, and finally, finally, find meaning and significance to this life, and you can step off the gerbil wheel and find rest for your soul. Let's pray. God, I pray that for many here today who've been running around and trying to find meaning in every other thing under the sun, that God, you would arrest their hearts, you would arrest their passions, and they would finally just sit and look up and cry out, God, if you don't give meaning to my life, then there is none. And then would they see not a theory and not a philosophy or religion, but would they see Christ who says, I came to make all things new. I came to redeem your life. And then all of a sudden, we get to experience joy, happiness, contentment. Things begin to make sense because we've been made right with our creator and we remember him and he frames up our life. Father, we praise you and we give you glory and we sing to your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.